Hello, and welcome to the All Saints Podcast. I'm Hugh Cole. Thank you so much for joining us. This week, a sermon from Father Ed Kelleher for Sunday, September 5th, 2021. To the glory of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I often have taught over the years I've been here that the underlying theme of the Bible is do not be afraid. People would say, isn't the Bible about God saving us and going to heaven? Indeed it is. It's a salvation story. It's God's history with people and the redemptive act of Christ on the cross is the supreme and ultimate example of what God has done for us to save us. But it's all to help us also in this world. It's not just a pie in the sky thing that happens after we die that we realize everything is good. It's for here and now because we're afraid here and now. We are under assault, we're afflicted, we're oppressed by the world here and now. So God is saying to us in the Bible, do not be afraid because I'm with you, I have touched you, I have looked out for you, I've provided for you, I will defend you on and on and on exhaustingly. God says, do not be afraid. Yet we are afraid at times. Uh, We don't so much need to confess our fear as much as to take them to the Lord for resolution. Uh, But our fears are even sometimes irrational. We call them phobias, you know, different phobias. I had fun at the earlier service saying, uh, does anybody know what arachnophobia is? And instantly the children knew arachnophobia was a fear of spiders. They knew that one. And so you know what claustrophobia is, tight spaces. Acrophobia. If you don't know what acrophobia is, the hint is no, no acrobats in a circus. They're way up high. You know, those acrobats on the flying trapeze. Acrophobia, fear of heights. There's another one I want to introduce you to today that you probably haven't heard of, except for Dr. Peterson. I'm sure he treats people with this. Uh, it's halfophobia. And I'm not saying one half of a phobia. I'm saying <laughs> halfophobia, H-A-P-H-E phobia. Halfophobia is the fear of touching or being touched by another. It's the notion that if somebody touches me, it repulses me perhaps, or just makes me uncomfortable. All different levels of it, I'm sure. Some of us might even have it to one degree or another. I think some people have selective hapophobia. They're really fine with the idea of being touched until somebody like me comes along. They don't want me touching them. I don't want you to touch me. We select who we want to be touched by. But the truth is that there are people who are severely bothered by being touched, and others who are mildly afflicted by it. I read about a 23-year-old fellow who said, the fear of being touched has ruined my life. I can understand that. He couldn't play high school sports. He said, I couldn't touch people, the contact sports. I guess he could play tennis or golf, but he couldn't do that. Um, He was in love with a girl, but was terrified of holding her hand or hugging her or putting his arm around her. Can you see how extreme this could get? Afraid to go to a job interview, what if the man wants to shake my hand or the woman wants to shake my hand after my interview? They'll be insulted if I don't. Can you imagine how difficult that is? Not being able to touch in this shutdown, in this distancing world we live in. Um, Some people desperately need a hug but can't get it. Well, that might give you some insight into the circumstance of people who live alone. Some people live alone by circumstance. Someone has died, they're alone, whatever it might be, family's far away. In other cases, they live alone by choice. The Apostle Paul affirmed that lifestyle. He says, very appropriate, nothing wrong whatsoever living alone. Some people are called to that kind of life. But when you're in that situation and you need it and can't have it, or you don't know that you need it and aren't getting it, you're in trouble. 
Well, where am I going with all this? Well, the world knows about hugging and touching and doing things to the nth degree. Uh, back in 1990, 91, when was it? Anybody remember the MC Hammer song? What was the MC Hammer song? Can't touch this. Way to go. We got it right here. Thank you, Will. Can't touch this. Well, when we get to the point where we recognize that there's a touching issue among people, and I'm not talking about inappropriate touching, I mean in terms of affection, love, wholeness, and wellness, we start to cross over to what's going on in the gospel. Jesus is talking to us indirectly and directly about touching here and how important it is. When we hear from this young man I told you about who said, the fear of being touched has ruined my life, we begin to understand that is true also spiritually. Spiritually. And let me take you directly to it. Unless and until you are touched by Jesus Christ in your heart, your mind, your soul, and your life, unless you're touched, you will never be able to overcome some of the principal maladies of your life, your brokenness, your sin, your everyday, deal, everyday dealings. You must be touched by him, or you will live your, the entirety of your life with the circumstances that plague you. You say, well, I don't need that. You know, I can go to a doctor, I can go and get a pill, I can take care of it myself, I can get a self-help book. I get that. No one has a higher respect for the medical community than I do. I adore them. Uh, my daughter is a counselor, a dear friend sits behind me who helps people with mental health issues. Many of you are involved in the mental health community, and that is vitally important. I affirm it to the nth degree. But I also affirm that the certain conditions of brokenness and sin that come into our lives can't be fixed by anybody. I'm a priest, I can't fix your sin circumstance. I'm plagued with sin, Father, help me. Can't do it. I don't have the slightest clue how to do that, except that I could take you to the one who does know how to do that in Jesus. Here in the gospel, he's talking to us about this. He's helping us to overcome this spiritual hapophobia with the people he's dealing with in the gospel, illustrating one from the other and how that works. I took a little head count for myself, going through the scriptures and found no fewer than 17 occasions where Jesus touched someone and their life was changed. Now the life change could have been healing, could have been demonic relieving, but it was also changed in terms of just who they were and their identity upon being touched by him. Um, it just a, a gorgeous understanding of it. But for you and me who are living 2,000 years after he walked the earth, how does this touching take place? What is it that we need? Because I really mock you if I preach to you that you need this and you have no way to access it. What do I give you except some lofty philosophical idea that in some notion, some fuzzy spiritual notion, Jesus is going to touch me? Well, I promise you I'm going to deliver before I'm done here on how this is accomplished because you need to know this. You need to go on. People say, but I don't want to be touched. Again, not only the halfophobia, the idea that I'm scared of being touched, but I just don't want that for my life. I don't like it. Uh, I get that. You know, the old notion that if God wanted me to touch my toes, he would have put my toes on my knees so I would have to stretch so far. Well, the truth is that God has made your, your spiritual toes much closer than your physical toes. It might be hard for you to touch your toes, and some of us can't even do it, but your, the idea of touching something in God and being touched by him is far closer than you think, easier. Grace has made it accessible. Grace has made it a commodity for you that is there for the offering. If you just reach out and receive it, if you would just let him come to you and give it to you, you would be there with him and understand that. You must be touched by Christ or you will never ever be transformed and changed from who you are. Well, I don't need that. I live an intellectual life, nonsense. 
I don't need that. I have a, a, a lone wolf Christianity. I just worship at home. I don't need a church. Nonsense. We need Christ. You need Jesus. If you think you don't, or you think you can have some soft soap notion of reading a book about him instead of knowing the actual him and being touched by him, you are deluding yourself. I've been doing this for all these years. I've seen people try so hard to fix the problems in their life, and it is a cruel heresy for anybody to tell them that they could do it on their own. Impossible. You need go no further than anybody in addiction recovery, and they will explain to you how impossible it is to do without God. The 12-step program holds at its center the notion that Christ comes in and touches you. Physicians, again, talking about the medical community. Anybody involved in pediatrics? I've told you before about this. If you leave a baby alone and don't touch the baby properly, the baby will have what is called a failure to thrive. The same thing is true with my, spiritual, my spirituality, my soul, the notion of who I am. If it remains untouched, I will fail to thrive in my spiritual life. My soul will be withered and malnourished and weak and vapid and all the things that I don't want it to be when I'm looking for it to be robust and full and God desires that too. We have to be in a circumstance where we thrive. We have to understand that with that being necessary, there are obstacles for people. There are stumbling blocks. There are walls between them and God. They, for some people, it's not just a matter of being touched by someone who loves them or a good friend or whatever. It might just be that they don't like being touched by strangers. I cannot be touched by strangers. I could hug my mom, I could shake the hand of my cousin, I could do all these things, but a stranger touching me is out of the question. Well, that becomes a huge issue if God is a stranger to you. If you don't know who he is and he's a stranger, you're not going to let him touch your soul anymore than you're going to let somebody on the metro touch you along the way on your ride. You don't want to be touched. And until you are touched, you can't be healed. Until you are touched, you can't know the love and the compassion of Christ. You must let him come in and do these things with you and for you. The importance of it comes in acknowledging my brokenness, acknowledging my sin. Each of us saying, okay, I'm sitting here, I'm feeling pretty good about myself, I'm in church, I have some nice clothes on, I'm gonna throw a $5 bill on the plate, I'm gonna walk out feeling pretty good about myself. Well, we could think like that, but every one of us is broken. Every one of us is sinful. And you say, well, no, I've been having a pretty good day of it. I haven't sinned yet so far. Wait till you get out in the parking lot, and you'll, you'll, you'll be sinning by then. You're not going to go to bed tonight without some sinful thought or something happen. It's the nature of who we are. Don't beat yourself up over it. God knows that he loves you. He's taking care of you, and that's this gospel. And these things come to us this way. And when I say come to us, the ultimate coming to us is Jesus in the incarnation at Christmas. If it wasn't so important for God to come into our lives and have a true relationship with each and every one of us, why in the world would he send his son here? Why in the world would you say the second person of the Holy Trinity, the second person of the Godhead, is going to come into the world, take on flesh, and actually be known as Emmanuel, God among us? It's even his name, God among us. He's known as Jesus, which means God saves. It's because being together as one is the nature of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are already touching, if you allow that term. They're already together. They're already one. You and I are made in that same image, so we have to have the same things God has to have, which is that relationship. And without it, we wither and we die. So the incarnation of Christ and Him taking on flesh is a great illustration of it. But it goes past the incarnation, and it goes into the Holy Sacrament. In a little while, we're going to have Holy Communion. If you wish, you come up and you receive the bread. We're not doing wine today, but... 
Uh, we will eventually, but you get the bread. Taking that into your body is a way of touching. If you believe in the mystical presence of Christ in the Eucharist, if you believe in the transubstantiation of the Roman Catholic teachings, the consubstantiation of the Lutheran teachings, or any other version of what communion means, no matter how you phrase it, God is touching you. That outward and visible sign of the Eucharist becomes that inward spiritual grace of Christ in a way that is transforming because the touch changes you. Read the Bible. Take a legal pad and sit there with a pen, and as you're reading through the Gospels, read, Jesus met a man on the road. Write that down. Jesus met a little girl in the marketplace. Write that down. Whoever he meets, write down. Write down who he met, what happened between them, and how that person left Jesus. And you will see not a single soul in the Gospels meets him, encounters him, and leaves the same way as they arrived. They're transformed one way or another. In the case of some, they walk away sad, like the rich young ruler, the rich young man guy, because he couldn't handle it. So he walked away sad, but he was changed. He was changed, he was touched. And these things become important. We understand St. Augustine was talking about the woman who was hemorrhaging blood in the, in the gospel stories, and then she touched Jesus. She came and touched him and she was healed. And he says, to touch Jesus with our hearts, that is what it means to truly believe. To truly believe means, I'm gonna make myself vulnerable. Forget the fact that I'm afraid of being touched. And why are people afraid of being touched by God? Well, I said maybe because he's a stranger to them, but also because I'm terrified of the notion of God touching me. If he touches me, he's gonna to wanna to change me. I'll never be the same again. I can't do it. It's like when Patty used to say to me, I, I was not a believer in Jesus. And she said, I really need for you to believe Jesus. I just hope you'll come to Jesus. I was like in my 20s, in my early 30s, I still hadn't come around to a faith. And then she said that thing I've told you about before where she said, but then again, I don't want you to meet Jesus because if you do meet Jesus, I know your ambition, you're gonna to want to be the Pope. You won't be happy with just being yourself. Well, look what happened to me, right? It worked, she was right. Nobody meets Jesus and stays the same. I met him and I quit the practice of law and became a priest. He will change you when he touches you, but touch you he must, for your sake even more than his, for your sake. I'm not saying be touched by him so you can become a super Christian and serve the church and give money. You need it so desperately you don't even know it, and you've deluded yourself into thinking you don't need it if you're walking around saying, I don't need that, I can read a book, I can go to a, a seminar, I can go do this, or preach or worship at home. It isn't true, it can't be done. We know about the, the TV show, Touched by an Angel. It was on back in the 80s, I suppose. Well, Touched by an Angel, suppose it was called Untouched by an Angel. Nobody would watch it. Well, who cares about that? It's being touched by the angel, that was special. Same thing, Touched by God is really good. Untouched by God, that's gonna be some TV show about either depravity, sickness, brokenness, twistedness, people not getting along with each other, divorce, bankruptcy, unemployment, uh, all kinds of weirdness, you know, people going to jail, that's what that would be about. But Jesus chooses to touch. And this is where we get to the, the crux of this gospel story. And I really want you to get this part. This is so important. In the gospel story, there are two people, principally. A mother and a man who can't see and he can't hear. The mother has a daughter at home possessed by a demon. Kids in deep trouble. She comes to Jesus. Jesus does not come to her. She talks to him about her problem. He hears her problem. He cares about her problem. He wants healing. He's compassionate for her. He says, go home. In essence, your daughter will be fine. She'll be made well. The woman goes home. The daughter's lying on the bed comfortably. The demon's gone. 
He didn't even go there, never laid a hand on the child, of course, because he didn't go there. All he did was speak it, and it was done. Lord, just say the word, and it shall be done, as the scripture said. Then he's going down the road again, it says, and he sees this man. Jesus sees him, because Jesus sees when you're hurting. The guy can't see, the guy can't hear, can't speak. The guy's messed up. He's got a lot of problems. He's just hurting. And Jesus' heart, no doubt, is moved. And in this case, Jesus goes to him. Sometimes we go to Jesus, sometimes he comes to us. Why is that? Because it's a relationship. It's a two-way street. If I'm in a relationship with you, you're my dear friend, you're in trouble, so I'll come to you, or you'll come to me, right? It goes back and forth, doesn't it? Jesus goes to this fellow. What does he do? He starts using some spit, starts sticking his hands in the guy's ears, his fingers in his ears, and shaking them all around. Does things to, and, and touches his eyes. And he's laying his hands on this fellow, and the guy is healed. We got to stop and say, well, why didn't he just say, be healed, like he did for the little girl with the demon? I told you I saw at least 17 places in the Gospels where Jesus touches people, and they're transformed and changed. Why did he touch this guy and not the other one? Why does he do someone and not the other one? What's, what's the deal? What's going on? The compassion of Jesus. Jesus knew, perhaps, that the little girl didn't need to, ter terribly to have much compassion. She had a loving mother, probably a father, a family. Who knows what the little girl had? He knew the mother would go home to her daughter. There was plenty going on. They were okay. But he knew that that fellow sitting there was ostracized from the community. He was a pariah, an outcast. He was somebody that nobody cared about. In fact, he disgusted them, perhaps. And the Jewish thinking was, if somebody is crippled, blind, maimed, whatever. It's because there's sin in your family and you're being punished by God. That's why you have these things. You, you deserve it, in other words. So we're going to stay away from you. You're unclean. We don't want to get messed around with you. Stay away from you. But Jesus goes and not only heals the fellow, but shows him his love, saying, I'm going to enter your world. I'm entering your space. I'm coming into where you are. My hands are on your face, on your eyes that are no good to you, on your ears, on your tongue that doesn't speak. He's touching him, and also perhaps because the man, as a sensory matter, couldn't hear him if he spoke anyway. Although I tell you this, Jesus could have planted a thought in his head if he wanted to. He's God, he could do whatever he wants. But it was the compassion. I have a definition of compassion I wrote down here someplace. Here it is. It's a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for someone's suffering. Okay, compassion is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for someone's suffering, accompanied by a desire to alleviate the suffering. And that's what Jesus was doing. And sometimes we think we're doing something nice. Oh, I'm going to collect clothes for the poor. I'm going to put on some kind of food drive or whatever. And you say, oh, that, that person's a hero. Look what they're doing. But the heart isn't right. The compassion has to accompany the act. If Jesus helped the man, if he helped the demonic girl, but he didn't have the love and the compassion for them, it would have been empty and hollow. And it's like that with us. Like I could go out and do a lot of good things, give out some food and show myself to be a great man because I'm running for county councilman and I want you to vote for me and think I'm a great person. Or I want you to do business with my company. And if you see me out there doing nice things, you'll say, oh, what a fine fellow. Let's, let's use him the next time we need those services or whatever it is. But the heart is wrong. A woman is home and there's a knock on her door. And she answers the door and there's a man looking kind of sad and he says, will you help us in the neighborhood here? We have a family down the street where the husband's out of work, the mother is ill, the wife is ill, uh, one of the children has a real severe problem, an emotional issue, the utilities are being cut off, and they're going to be evicted today about 5 o'clock if they don't raise the money to pay the rent. And the woman says, oh my goodness, of course I'll help. She said, let me get my purse. And by the way, she said, who are you? He says, 
I'm the landlord. You didn't get it? They're being evicted, and the guy raising the money is the landlord himself because he wants the cash for his pocket. He has an unforward purpose and motivation. That joke was great at the early stages. You get the, part, the point of it. It's the heart behind the act and what we do. And Jesus here with his compassion is doing this. Um, he would go to lepers. He would go to the untouchable and heal them. But let me give you a little set of lyrics, if I could, from an American gospel tune. Uh, some of you will know this, but it speaks to Jesus touching us. It says, I was shackled by a heavy burden beneath a load of guilt and shame. Then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I am no longer the same. He touched me, oh, he touched me, and oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me, and he made me whole. When Jesus touches us, he restores, he redeems, he brings everything back. It's not just physical, it's emotional, it's spiritual most of all. It is cultural and social so that all the parts of our lives come together and him touching us and helping us to find the right place with him. Some of us here need this redemption. Some of us here are relationally crippled. You might be rejected, feeling shame or guilt of something that you've done either now or when you were a kid. I got a couple of those going on in my head. I'll tell you that right now. And you're feeling these things and you don't know how to overcome them. I go back to what I said before. Even if it's a matter of, of just being angry, you can't overcome all these things completely and holistically unless God does them with you and for you. It has to be that way because we were made in a factory of God, so to speak, and when something goes wrong with the product, you send it back to the manufacturer. Our manufacturer is the Lord God, and when Jesus touches us, we become whole, we become someone different. Back in the 1970s and 80s, a major telephone company had uh, a commercial series to promote long-distance phone charges. They want the people to call each other long-distance. Anybody remember what the slogan was? Reach out and touch someone, AT&T. I tell you, they plagiarized that from Jesus himself. <laughs> Yet I commend it to you as the way to go. The Lord Jesus comes in compassion to love us. And when we allow him to do so, he touches us. And when he does, we're healed, not only now, but for all eternity. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the All Saints Podcast. To download future episodes automatically, you can subscribe and have the episodes delivered to you each week by going to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and clicking subscribe. And if you've liked the podcast so far, we would really appreciate it if you took a few minutes to give us a rating. As always, please be well. Stay safe and God bless.